And so we close the chapter in our book of the Candlekeep Mysteries. How did we like that, Aaron Thompson? I thought it was just fine, really. But I kind of want to read a different book now. Well, Elisa Hoover, do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I'm wondering how I can get promoted to Coho. Right. <laughs> I'm going to pass on that. Uh, Rachel Barkalo, how about you? Do you have a suggestion? <laughs> we are starting so strong. <laughs> Ryan Nagelsmith. <laughs> I do not. Well, I, Josh Karam, have found the perfect book for us. It is the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Today is a very special episode because we have everyone back from the Candlekeep Mysteries to talk about our experiences and just have a little bit of fun. Uh, first off, I'm just going to say this to everyone. If you have not seen the episode where we play Sh- Shem You haven't seen it with your ears. <laughs> <laughs> we actually released a YouTube miniseries about our experience in the Candlekeep library. It we was all do thrilling. Like- and had up to five views. We do like um, cabin confessionals, like on Survivor. <laughs> I don't know. Netflix was talking about picking it up, so like, this, wow. This be good. I mean, oh. the viewers were clamoring to see Aaron Thompson get into character with the uh, the eyes, <laughs> the unsettling <laughs> staring. They couldn't see it, even though I said, "Viewers, you'll be able to see this later." I lied. Mm-mm. But anyway, if you haven't heard. That podcast, go ahead and listen to that first because we will spoil what happens in the one shot in this podcast. So go listen to that, then come back and listen to this. Again with me is Aaron, Elisa, Rachel, and Ryan. And let me just start it off by saying, what was something you guys really liked about this adventure we did? I mean, I liked playing with you guys. Oh, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Side note, I'm the only person in the whole episode that swears. I think we edited out most of them, but it was just me listening through. Everyone else is like, DDD, and I'm like, fucking shit, mom. Well, I would I would have had to actually talk in order to swear. So. Oh. You Aww. talked a lot more than I thought you did. Yeah, when we right. started recording, I was like, Ryan didn't say three words. And then it turns out you did. Yeah. Ryan, you could swear now if you want to. No, I don't want to swear now. It's explicit. Oh, you could say whatever still you just want. Me. I will say the first part, Aaron is the only one that swears, but at the very beginning of part two, there's a big holy shit from me. I just go, oh. holy shit. And that's like two minutes in. So Amazing. It's all Rated good. Rated M for mature. We need to break the ice quickly. Yeah, Rachel, you did bring up a good point, though, just for people at home, because I feel as though we reference this a lot in the podcast in general, a bunch of characters from a campaign that we play, and people might be like, well, who's Anna? Who's Snorri? Who's Victor? Who are these? What the hell is Amira? Like, what the hell are all these <laughs> things that they're talking about? Uh, Aaron, do you want to describe it, I guess? <laughs> Boy, do I. So a brief history of Amira. So how this is how it all happened. So Josh, Rachel, Ryan, and I all met in Alaska one summer uh, in 2018. Um, That's a great way we, to start a story. How many people can say we met in Alaska one summer? Right, awesome. on the last frontier during the gold rush of 2018. <laughs> Skagway specifically, I feel like we need to throw, throw yes, the town out very there. Very important. Yes, yes. 
Shout out to the Days of 98 show. And we all played D&D together. And so when quarantine happened, um, we were all missing each other very much a whole year later, year and a half or so. And um, we were like, we were meaning to play some more. So like, let's just do an online campaign together. And Josh had the wonderful idea to make it like a 50 year time jump, which is super cool. And then we had a couple of friends on as guests, one of whom stuck around a lot. And that's Elisa. Thanks. We are so happy to have you. <laughs> yes, we are. Elisa yeah. and I met in college. And so uh, this serendipity happened. She guested once and I turned to Josh and I said, would you like to stay forever? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even playing a human. I was playing Rachel's uh, pet grizzly bear, um, which was about all that I felt comfortable with at the time because I'd never played D&D before. So luckily, the stats for a grizzly bear are pretty simple. Um, but it ended up being a lot of fun. So I'm very excited to stick around with a character that can speak real words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Though you were beautiful in your bear <laughs> improv. Thank you. But yeah, Amira is a homebrewed world that Josh created. Um, it borrows heavily from the lore of the Forgotten Realms, but has a couple of homebrew flavors. It's got a lot of Fire Emblem influences, like the Kitsune is a custom race we built that I played as one of um, in our first campaign. For the guests on the podcast, since we play a homebrew campaign, how was it... Or how did it feel playing a module in this case? And I guess that goes for all of us because we're so used to playing homebrew together, switching to a module that was written by the Wizards of the Coast is a big shift. Or was it? You look quizzical, Rachel. I, I don't know if it was like super different because I feel like we have such a specific vibe as it is. So even taking something that has been pre-written... I think they're definitely eliminated some of the flexibility, like the fact that we like to just go to hot springs in our other campaign and things of that nature. So I think um, I think there was a bit more rigidity to it, but in terms of actual play style and the way that you were DMing, honestly, not a ton shifted. That's kind of what I was thinking as well, that it, because there were specific story beats that had to happen at certain times, I don't know because I didn't I didn't see the actual book, um, but sometimes stuff would just happen to move the story forward to keep the momentum going. Uh, whereas when we're playing in our homebrew campaign, we could dink around in a marketplace for like three hours and nothing could happen. I mean, shopping <laughs> would happen, and shopping is very important. But the <laughs> the course. momentum of the story was always driving because there were specific story beats that you had to make happen. I can add to that, I guess, too. The same thing, but uh, yeah, and I felt like it was like a little more. I don't want to say pushed, but kind of like directed and stuff. But then when I went back and listened to it afterwards, it kind of like felt like, oh, well, there was a few like really important key things that I definitely missed. So we had to progress it along because like if nobody picked up on the things, you were just going to be sitting around like not really finding the direction we need to go, I guess. I will say that the um, Wizards of the Coast did a really good job of implementing if people don't get to a certain point a push that could happen. Um, Let's just go ahead and spoil. When Ebder screams, it technically could be triggered at any point in the campaign. It could be actually the second that you all go up there and see the curse happen. He could just scream immediately. But I was thinking, that's no fun. I want you to kind of move around, and then the scream comes from that room, so you're not there when it happens. So there's these different trigger moments. I think the biggest trigger moment, I guess you could say, was when... 
the little girl showed up with Oof. the actual book because that kind of like came out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. That was a very um, kind of horror, almost jump scare, I guess you could say. Uh, <laughs> and at that point, I was like, wow, we were way off in whatever we were doing. <laughs> I know that I got confused and like stuck on, no, there's a lower level. There's a physical lower level to this place. <laughs> and even like the characters were like, nope. <laughs> no, but I was like, no, there's something else. But clearly um, that wasn't it. So I will also say that I find it interesting to. Well, first off, I love how that is written as well, because that's an immediate trigger. The second one of the party betrays someone else. Yeah. Sorry, Jen. It's fine. Then the girl immediately appears. So for me, I was oh, like, oh, OK, cool. You're in the room with the girl and the Kenku. I need you to get out of that room. So that she can beat it over the head with a book. Exactly. Oh. So we were never actually going to find the book itself. The girl was always going to bring it in. Unless, what if we pick that lock That's to the that thing. middle room? If you picked the lock or stole the key from Crinkle, oh. you could have gone into that room. Crinkle, yeah. And also the, the padlock for the upstairs place in the scriptatorium was also Crinkle's keys. So if you got her oh. keys... Then you could have opened that as well instead of trying so to. So then, are we to staff. assume that Crinkle's the one scratching all the words into the walls on the floor? Let's let's talk about the skeletons then, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, who the fuck skeletons are those? One of the skeletons was a cleric called Yalwin Pilt. Now there was a certain room that you could have snuck into on the main floor that you guys never explored, but you would learn that that cleric was actually the one that helped the little girl in the story to kill Shamshai. Oh. oh. And the hole in the back of the head, though, of one of the skeletons was because of insanity. They thought they could drill it out. And that's why I oh. thought you would do a medicine check on that, perhaps. So there's a huge cleric part of this, but it's kind of in the background. And I was fine that it didn't come out because it doesn't really like just information, right? It's just I funny because clerics are your favorite class. I know. So, like, <laughs> to not get to have that part in there, it's like. It hurts a little. Don't get me wrong. I I am a sucker for clerics, yes. You did drop that information in our other one shot with Aaron, just for fun. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Wouldn't it have helped, though, when we get to the final battle and we're supposed to figure out that you have to smash Shem Chime with something big? Would it have helped if we'd explored that room to learn about the cleric that helped the girl? I think he would have gotten the enchantment of the millstone earlier. If that doesn't happen, it's very thrown when you learn the final stanza of the rhyme. That's when you finally hear, oh, it, uh, Shemsharm was crushed by a millstone. But it's very, like, in the background. You guys were really the super sleuths who were able to deduce that, though. Thank so. you. I also think it's so cool. Like, the, the whole, like, buried lead of the table that looks like a gear, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we've just been sitting around it the whole time, and on the map you see it looks like a cog, you know, mm. something that, like, would turn a millstone. And then all of a sudden to be like, oh, I guess it really is that. It's not just, like, for fun. Yeah. Because when you first described it, I was like, a t like, a table doesn't need six inlets so you can sit at it. Because, like, that's the point of a table is <laughs> it goes over yeah. top of you. This table's too round. <laughs> They're just really jealous of their elbow space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's so they can all cross their legs in front of them without hitting the table. Yeah. <laughs> Left-handed, right-handed, doesn't matter. <laughs> True. I do think it's super important just to say on this, though, how quickly Elisa caught on to yeah. the fact that we needed to crush the monster. It was Both of you are so immediate. fucking smart. That feels really great because I feel like I spent the rest of the one shot not knowing what the heck was going on and being so afraid of the stupid girl 
with the bloody dress that I <laughs> terrifying in the mystery. So scary. So she was I figured terrifying. Out one thing. That, that was that felt pretty good to figure that out in mm-hmm. the end. My favorite thing was anytime the little girl would show up, Elisa and I would just start shaking <laughs> our heads at each other like. Mm-mm. Well, like no, I don't no, watch no, horror no. movies as it is, but like if you throw children or dolls into it, no. like I am a hundred percent out. So like Chucky is my worst nightmare. I'm like physically recoiling just thinking about it. Like oh, anytime it's, it's spooky, get the kids out of there. I don't want them involved. <laughs> get them <Yeah>. out. <laughs> Well, see, Chucky's not even really around in people's houses anymore, but that actually used to be a doll that it would be in your house. So, wait, are you serious? Yeah, they would have. They were like Cabbage Patch Kids or something. You'd have a Chucky doll, like. Oh, Uh-oh. I hate that. Well, I'm sorry that I spooked you all with Gail B. Honestly, I feel bad, and I'm gonna just a little peek behind the DM screen. I did miss the phrasing of the Kenku was unconscious, so I left it very, like, ominous if the Kenku died. Because I just missed that. Because the girl comes in with a book covered in blood. I'm like, oh, the Kenku's dead then. But no, that's supposedly not the case. My bad. In my mind, that Kenku's fucking dead. <laughs> blunt force trauma. You are you have a brain bleed, like... Wait, did Ebder die too? So, here's the thing that's interesting, right? Ebder's not written to die. But we killed him? <laughs> Because of the fact that you had Ebder open the book, <laughs> we're so <Oops>. selfish. <laughs> he lost so much HP from doing that, and also I created like small like HP stuff for everybody, and which explains why I couldn't beat the shit out of Catula. Exactly. <laughs> and the thing is, like Ebder, I didn't want to die, but after trying to open the book twice with really good rolls, I must say on my part, gotta brag about the roll where I can, and also getting attacked <laughs> by Shemshime, it's just like. It's not going to happen. We sort of left it on a hopeful note, though, that someone could, like, revive him, you know, like, resurrect him or something. Yeah, we are in Candlekeep, after all. I mean, clerics are probably at least a couple level five clerics there can cast simple spells to revive people. Okay, Josh, we know you have a favorite. The fact that none of us had healing spells is pretty <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> we never do, though. That's the problem. We That's, never yeah, have a Yeah, our other healer. campaign, too, we play a rogue, a barbarian, a sorcerer, and, like, a... Witch knight. Hexblade Warlock and the Paladin. Yeah, so you've got, like, a couple healing spells, but our main plan is just, like, if we kill them first, then we won't have to heal. You guys deal a lot of damage. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. You guys deal a lot of damage. I feel like I deal the least damage, and I'm a rogue, which, like, that's insane. <laughs> the main plan is just to throw me at the monsters and let them pick me up in their giant mouths, and then Rachel Hashtag can fireball them from a knackle distance. tackle. Knackle tackle. I, yes, that is true. I always play, like, glass cannon characters because it stresses me out to be inside the melee. I can't Mm. do it. Speaking of combat, I do have to bring this up because I think this is one of the coolest parts about the one shot that we did is with Shemshim, you guys figured it out. But if you didn't figure it out, Shemshim wouldn't die. So the only way to kill Shemshime is to crush Shemshime with something that's, I think it's a thousand pounds or heavier. Throughout the campaign, I hope that I emphasized enough that the table was heavy and the book was heavy. You, I look, Listening back, you're like, it's about a 1,500 pound stone book. I'm like, why is he saying that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, heavy book. Because the combat's a nightmare then, because it will never end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. But it's cool to have combat that's a puzzle. And I think that's something mm-hmm. really unique about this. The few times that I have DM'd, which is like two, twice, two, 
Um, I love having combat that has like other ways around it. We yes. didn't get to it with the Sharkto crab, unfortunately. But like, shout out to the Sharkto crab. No, but like, I love having like if you break the enchantment, you know, because I'm playing with a bunch of mind-controlled enemies, right? If you can break the mind control, then the fight is over. So like, there are alternate ways. You don't just have to like beat them down. Well, that's what makes it interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, any good D and D campaign, unless it's like a boss fight. To be fair, if you're in the layer of a legendary dragon, I understand if you don't follow this, but the idea that you can get around combat should always be a real thing. Like, I did that once as a bard in a campaign I played years ago, and I felt great because my DM, my DM was pissed at me, but I was like, ha-ha-ha, barding around. <laughs> Were you upset at me when I just cast Suggestion and sent that giant away? So to be fair, no, because I... Uh, well, okay, ooh, this is this is In our back. other campaign, right, for the people at home. Yes, this is our yes. other campaign. I, I, the Hill Giant had stats. You guys could have... By the way, yeah, it wasn't a full Fire Giant. I took Hill Giant stats and gave it fire resistance just so it wasn't as powerful as um, Deus Flame, who is a fire giant warlord in the campaign we play. It honestly, I was fine with it because it's another way around, right? Like, I think, I think suggestion, I wasn't reading the rules enough on it, so some of the stuff we did earlier on, maybe I shouldn't have let slide, but honestly, if you're using suggestion the way that it's written, then it's kind of fair game. It's, it's what I feel about mm -hmm. spiritual weapon too, right? I know spiritual weapon, people say, it's too overpowered, but I don't think it's game breaking. Do we want to say what would have happened if we'd gotten Shemshime down to zero HP? Did we say that like th specifically what the mechanic was? Yeah. So the mechanic is it bumps back up to one HP every time it hits zero. And isn't there something like if you just destroy the book like with a sword, it hops to a different book? Yes. Oh, I forgot we talked about that afterwards. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> basically, if you because I was wondering if you guys were just going to try to destroy the book instead. That was my first plan. Yeah. So it basically goes over to another book. Also, you didn't get to check the skull, but the skull would have stopped singing if you after killing Shemshim as well. Oh. Just another small thing. So does the song that people hum and, and sing change when it switches books? Like depending on the topic of the book? If it's like a dictionary. Right? <laughs> it just sucks that up and it's like, oh, new song. <laughs> or is it like, does that book become Shemshim's Bedtime Rhyme? Yes. Then? Yes, it becomes Shemshim's Yeah, the bedtime. cover changes. It just goes back to, mm -hmm. yeah. That's, yeah, that's so, weird. It'd be cool to play with the idea that the music changes when it jumps books. I think that would be a cool. 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 cool yeah. Seems like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> For our resident composer, yes. Well, thank you. Yes, if we didn't shout it out already, Aaron composed the entire podcast, and I think it was just amazing. It gave it's a beautiful. Zelda spooky feel to everything, and I loved thank it. Thank you. It, sounded it was so, so good. fun. It was so much work, but it was so fun. But it was great. I mean, it was very atmospheric, and I could hear the fireflies. It was all in there. Yes. Yeah, that little shift was really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you. The little da-da-da-da. Yeah. Especially when you talk about oh, them blinking, and it's like da-da-da. I loved it. So, um, oh, the other thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is uh, the fact that the room got cold, and the fireflies were flickering on and off, all of that stuff. There's a table in Shemshime's Rhyme. When more than half of the party is influenced by the curse, then you roll a table of certain effects that could happen. Worse mm. shit happens. The game. So, I figured there was, because you were like, oh, so two of the four of you then. Oh, really? Like, Let oh, me hold no. on. Yeah. Hold on. yeah. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> Wait, what were some of the other options? Let me pull that up quickly. You know, it could just be that the Demogorgon was nearby and Will was trying to send us a message Will? from the outside. Will? <laughs> I, Will? We, did we leave in that joke about 
you guys said I was Winona Ryder or <laughs> Yeah, I liked the the post insert to explain. Because that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no. Because they have no idea what we were talking about before we started recording. Well, they that's why I clarified us. and said we were talking about Heathers, so I made it clear. Uh. <laughs> it just I like that the the uh, adventure got more and more chaotic as the night went on. So at the very beginning, we were all very reserved and like mm-hmm. hesitant as we were playing these characters for the first time. And then by the time we got to the combat, it was just absolute chaos, and we were so slap happy that and I was like, it, "Cast yeah. shatter on me! I don't care." <laughs> Take hit down. Me. Yeah. <laughs> so on the table, you guys both got the fireflies and the cold. Let me just read off a couple. The other ones, uh, random books fly off shelves. Each creature's in certain areas um, must succeed dexterity saving throws or take bludgeoning damage from the collision Ooh. of books. Three shadows appear in the same areas of the characters. The shadows attack the characters but disappear at the end of the third turn of combat if they have not been destroyed, which I was kind of hoping I rolled because it's just really cool. We got some good ones. Shemshime's foul magic manifests as a random character's worst nightmare. The character must succeed a DC-12 intelligence saving throw. On a failed save, the character takes 2d8 psychic damage and is frightened by the manifestation. And it lasts up to one minute. Three creatures in the Firefly Cellar. Each one must succeed a DC-14 wisdom saving throw or take 1d8 psychic damage and makes a melee attack against another creature's reaction we lucked out so much yeah so none of the combat stuff none of the damage stuff got rolled funny enough literally the two that weren't damage related (laughs) that's for the best because i almost didn't even survive the mini combat with the music box i'm not used (laughs) to playing someone with so little hp i got hit once and was almost dead Mm -hmm. barbarian to wizard from a d12 to a d6 yeah (laughs) The highest to the lowest. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I think it's interesting, too. I love how not only it's puzzle mechanics with fighting, but I also like how the horror mechanic of it being like there's a fight happening, but the third turn it ends. I like the mystery in that, too, and I was hoping mm-hmm. that gets played out. But maybe maybe I throw that in a campaign that I'm running right now. Who knows? Maybe I do oh. something like that. That might be fun. I'm still trying to think of what my character's worst nightmare would have been. Yeah, me too. Having to come up with that on the spot, that would have been very stressful. I'm almost inclined to like pick something regular, you know, like not yeah. to be too thematic, but just to be like, Jin is r- actually very afraid of like werewolves, you know, or mm. like mm. spiders. It's the jump between we're we're running a campaign that I think we've had thirty something episodes in now, and doing something that is a one shot where the the backstory isn't as crazy as something that's going to go on for 30 episodes afterwards, even though I want these characters to come back and I want to have more adventures with this Candlekeep cast. It was definitely funny. Like Elisa was saying, we were very timid in the beginning and everyone was trying to like figure out how do we all play these new characters? How do we interact with these people we've never really talked to before? That's the and then by one, the yeah. end, we're like some sort of weird hodgepodge of like, you know, it's sort of like we've fallen back into it again. I do want to say it's funny because this is something I wanted to bring up on this podcast that I always find. I don't know what it is. I know it's only two campaigns, but Rachel and Elise's characters, it feels though like you guys had some headbutting in this similar to um, Snorri and Zoe in our Amira campaign. 
I just felt that. I don't know what it was, and I love that little conflict between. I felt the, two the of you. same thing, which is funny because in real life, Rachel, my one true love, <laughs> yes. I just find that very funny that our characters are always so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, contentious all the time. I don't know. Maybe we're like playing out some kind of weird underlying thing. <laughs> okay, so Quackadilly Blip was probably well. First of all. In retrospect, the hero we needed. Give it, well, given that it turned into such a spooky story, I was like, all right, the name was a mistake. It would have been more serious. It was a little irreverent. Like, you couldn't know. How was I to know? It was called Bedtime Rhymes. I thought it was going to be a happy go lucky, plucky adventure. Anyway, quirky. I like. I generally, as a person, I will find the personality void in the room and I'll fill that void. And I think that's what happened in our our homebrew campaign with Snorri because everyone in that campaign they're just like so cool and badass and you know like really suave and so I was like fine then I'm gonna be a super energetic friendly little dwarf who just wants to find love and I think Quackadilly kind of did the same thing where everyone was very low-key um and I was like I guess I'm gonna bump the energy up and be a little erratic uh, just to fill the void. I thought it worked really, really well. The minute you started talking and actually described yourself as a dust moat, I was, I lost it. <laughs> My favorite moment is still whenever, um, right in the middle of the first part where they're like, where Varnier's like, you guys are all spellcasters, right? And you're like, well, one can never truly master spellcasting. I'm like, that was not the question. question. I loved it. Speaking of yeah. moments, do we have a favorite moment? Oh, God. I was just so scared the whole time. I also have no stomach for scary things. And I'm sure people <laughs> listening will be like, it wasn't that bad. You're being a wussy. Um, <laughs> but, but I don't care. I'm very soft. So. I want to give... I'm going to come to Aaron's defense here as my co-ho. Thank you. Yeah, shout out to my other co-ho, Josh. Boom, boom. <laughs> I think the thing is when you're role-playing in a campaign, you become the character in a sense, right? We're actors. That's what we do. So you're going to feel more horror while you're in it because you're living through that character. So even when we even if you're listening to it and you're like, it's not that scary in the moment, I even read it and I get a chill because I'm like in the moment of being Varnier or whatever it is. Yeah, it's all fun and games until you get possessed and then a little girl shows up with a bloody book in the door. (laughs) (laughs) Really takes you for a spin. I do think that's interesting. We are all actors except for Ryan. So, Ryan, where is your perspective on this? Yeah. (laughs) What? I don't know, being a non-actor playing D&D. Like, well, it's always you- super nervous, especially when I'm with you guys, because like, you are all actors, and you guys do all this stuff on a normal basis, and I'm just like, okay. Like, even just re-recording this stuff, it was hilarious. I had to like make Rachel leave, because I was like, I felt so self-conscious re-recording something. <laughs> and then I was like, now do you understand why I make you leave the room on occasion? <laughs> but this is like what she does on a regular basis, so yeah. I don't get that. But I'm just super self-conscious because I don't do this stuff on a normal. I loved it. You do. You really dove in this time. I loved your character voice. Yes. It you know, I tried joy. to go like from so like a Doug from Up kind of thing, like the dog there. But mm-hmm. I don't Squirrel. know. It just kept switching on me throughout it, and it just molded. And I don't know. I, I didn't feel like I stayed with it the whole time. Especially in a one shot, though. I mean, when you have to come up with a new voice and do it for the first time, and sadly the only time it's hard mm-hmm. to keep it in that yeah. sense i noticed i'll i'm gonna i'm just gonna call out myself varnier switches voices twice oh no <laughs> oh no it goes from being very old and soft and then to sounding like this a little bit <laughs> good night the one thing i did want to throw out there that i didn't get to say in the actual thing is that the the um 
the artifact that I was trying to find, right? It was from a group of weavers that left it, and it was the largest ball of string. That's what I was I was hoping it was something like <laughs> <Yeah>. that. Because <laughs> so, you're a cat. Cause, yeah, because you're I'm, a little oh, kitty cat. I will say, I want you to know, Ryan, that I... In case these characters ever come back up, I did write a little side, like, two paragraphs of something that could happen afterwards. Oh, okay, cool. So the ball of string is still out there, Sweet. and it's yours for the clawing. Oh. <laughs> I'm picturing something now like Indiana Jones where the ball of string is, like, following me through a tunnel, and, like, I'm about to get rolled over by it. <laughs> Indiana Jones style. Yeah, you got to take the right idol. Get that sand. It's got to be the right amount. Speaking of movie references, I was a little unsatisfied because there was not a single great Scott from mm. Elisa, even yeah, after we promising really it. Let in. So I was hoping for the Dungeons and Gathers community right now, you could just give us one great Scott so people don't feel like you've betrayed them. I'm like so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> I said, so people don't feel so let down by you. No. Oh, no. So rude. So embarrassing. I'll, I'll, I'll be Marty, and then you could come in as Doc if that works out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, All right, so scene six, uh, take one. Action. Action. Wait, Doc, Doc, it's me. I came back in time. I came back from the future. Great Scott. Uh, yeah. Yay. yay. And the Oscar goes to. 121 gigawatts? Yeah. <laughs> 100. <laughs> There you go. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, if you want to come on, just uh, give us a call. <laughs> Did you still want us to share our favorite moments? I thought of one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Please, inspire okay. me. Okay. I think my favorite moment was when, so after the scream when Ebder was super cursed. So we had been in the spooky room with the skulls and the writing, and then we all ran back out. I think that was my favorite sequence because it was like everyone had a job and we were all solving the mystery. So Ryan stealthed off into the corner, you know, to survey the scene. And Rachel was taking care of the little girl to make sure that she wasn't a murderer. And then Aaron and I were checking out Ebder as he was having his episode, like checking for the poke in the back of the head and, you know, seeing what kind of magic influences was happening. So it was like everyone was involved in their own task, solving the mystery together. Team. Team. I love the team. All about the team. (laughs) Safety first, then teamwork. That was my favorite part is the amount of times Elisa goes, is the scene safe? <laughs> yeah, multiple really drawing, times okay drawing from my lifeguard training there i had to do what felt familiar i was gonna say my uh woofer class too is the same thing like yeah that's what they tell you safety on the scene so it's just funny yep. it's the scene safe yeah and then go get an aed and that's all you need to know mm-hmm. yeah have someone call 911 yes do you want to define what that is that acronym you just threw out uh wilderness first responder so ryan is a real life ranger yeah mm-hmm This is kind of very silly and self-indulgent, but I think one of my favorite interactions, it was between Elisa and I, when I said something along the lines of, you know, you shouldn't always trust faculty or like a piece of paper (laughs) doesn't mean much. And then you're like, what? Uh." (laughs) We're just so flabbergasted and flustered. And I just thought that that was such a good encapsulation of our little personalities that we developed over the course of like, you know, three, four hours. Yeah, that was authentic. I literally had no idea what to say to that. You got me there. I think that's totally a tipping point too for whatever, like everybody that is like, all right, and we're rolling. Yeah, it and definitely that's when things started to really half. mesh. This is going to be a lame answer then for my favorite part, but those are my favorite parts. It's when you do something that's off the book. This is going to be a, a hot take from Josh Karam, so get ready for this. Hit it. I find with one-shots, they're very 
it's like we got to do this mission. You're all here just to do this mission. And sometimes I feel as though some of the character could get lost in that because it's all you're just you're here to do the purpose. It's like we got to get you back on track and do it. But I love when you just like went back up to the library to look for books and stuff because that's not in the module at all, like doing stuff like that. And I it's think that's fun just fun. Because it's the acting side of this. It's the character side. It's not, we're not here to play combat all the time. We want to have these fun character moments. Well, if we didn't break the rules, would we even be playing? Exactly. And by the way, we say it a hundred times on the podcast. If you are people that play D&D just for the combat, that's not a dig at you. It's just my personal opinion. I like the role playing over the combat. Right. That's just not what we like. I mean, that's what I was going to say too, is that like in the DM manual, it talks, or it talks about, um, you know, like, finding what your group likes like exploring or whether they like role playing or something so some of these modules might not be like specifically for certain people or certain mm -hmm. like play styles yeah. yeah i think my favorite thing about all of it was that how not combat focused it was even like our the one fight we did our boss fight like you actually you couldn't just go in and hack and slash your way yes. through it mm -hmm. like you needed to think you needed to explore and like to understand things which was frustrating at times because, like, you know, I was a little bit dumb. <laughs> but it was cool also to have that be like, come on now, turn on your brain. Wait, were you really? I thought I thought we all really, like, buffed our intelligence and wisdom. Were you not I was smart? super high wisdom, yeah. Um, but in real life, I would just didn't feel that smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard. it is hard, though, to listen to all of those little descriptors right. and everything that's going on when you're like focused on your character sheet and also trying to interact with everybody and like trying to figure out this new personality yeah. you're like sometimes you you can only half pay attention so that's the challenge in finding that right balance mm -hmm. yeah that's what i was gonna say i'm more of a visual person not like hearing everything is kind of a little difficult I wonder what would happen if we took our home campaign characters and ran through one of these mysteries because at that point we're Can like we? we know i've i've slid into playing ariadne like like a glove you know oh, yeah. like an old pair of shoes that would be really and so fun that, and also ariadne is an inquisitive rogue yes like i was made for this let me do we it we needed to talk about that because that's literally when you hear all the talkbacks from the writers they say <clears throat> so what class would you play and they're all like well the inquisitive rogue is the first thing we'd pick if we were to do these I have to say, playing a divination wizard was really amazing. And, like, particularly that for this huge. one, which was all about, like, de detecting the magic and finding out the source, it couldn't have been a better match. And using Portent was yeah. so cool. Just having That's that power. favorite moment. Yes. When you, like, hold Jin's hand and you're like, actually, you succeed. And I was like, I what? Ooh, <laughs> like, I what now? Cause you're like make a charisma save. I Jin had a seven in charisma. Yeah, that was the dumb. That's a oh, minus no. two. And I was like, I will never survive. My friends are going to have to kill me. It's a shout out to this module too, because I played a conjuration wizard for a long period of time, and constantly there was like a bunch of combat that would happen, and I'm like, I could create objects in my hand and you know mm, do things like yeah. that, but it it just isn't. Some wizards aren't terribly well built for combat so it's really exciting to have these situations where it's not about combat and even the combat at the end wasn't really about like going as you said hacking and slashing hey josh when did you say this that the shemshine rhyme initially happened 
was it like hundreds of years ago? Because if Hadrian was injected in here, I would have like been around when it originally happened, right? Yeah, true. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's six hundred years ago, I think, is what they say. If I'm not, I I might be wrong, but I'm That'd pretty be sure. Be like the case. if the Spanish influenza came back. <laughs> right. Oh yikes! <laughs> and someone was like, "I was there. I was there." I've seen it. And yeah, I, nobody expects the Spanish influence. <laughs> <laughs> it is important to note, I, Hadrian, in the other campaign, has, how old are you technically? Technically, like, what, six or seven hundred years old? You're yeah, technically I like was 800, an ancient king 800, 900 years old. I died yeah. and was reborn. Yeah, ancient king background, trapped in a sword. We woke him up. His skin looks great. Wonderful. Very luminous, honestly. The good thing about Candlekeep, though, is that they specify at the beginning of the book that if you don't play in the Forgotten Realms, they have stuff for uh, Wildmount and other places. So if you wanted to run these within your campaign, you just come up with a library that exists in the world of your campaign, toss it in. Because all oh, of cool. these stories begin with a book from the Candlekeep library. That's that's how it all works. So when do we get to do a Candlekeep mystery in Ravnica? Ooh. Ooh. Okay, Azorius. <laughs> Wait, aren't you? Okay, aren't, no. We are level six right now in, in that campaign, right? So. Yeah, we are. Yes, whenever Josh doesn't feel like DMing, I run a couple one-shots in Ravnica that are now actually just a real campaign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Side note. <laughs> and to my cleric love, I picked Boros Guild because you get Guiding Bolt if you do Boros Guild. So cleric spells for the win. Nice. Surprisingly, wow. too, I just wanted to play that bard for like that one shot. But when we keep doing it, the bard is like really fun to play, actually. Yeah. <laughs> There's the a lot of awesome. utility yeah. to it. Bards and rogues. That's what I like. And I think that's why I like magic is because there is so much utility. And the gathering. I, mm. <laughs> yes, no, <shut> <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I could ever like really, really long term play something that didn't have any magic. It's proving to be difficult. Yeah, I love <laughs> oh, it. I love yes. being a barbarian. It's the best. Thirty episodes as a rogue is like. <laughs> <laughs> but I love what the fact that Candlekeep includes the necessary bits that you can just insert. That's really nice. Yeah. You can put it anywhere. And I think it's because whenever you play a one-shot, I've never had a feeling after a one-shot where I'm like, all right, I'm done. Close this chapter. Let's move into another thing. I'm like, I like this character. What happens after this happens? I want to yeah. know. The one thing I wish we could have had a moment, like, after we all get out of the vault, you know, and, like, we leave the Firefly Cellar, it would have been nice to be able to, like, turn to each other and be like, hey, guys. That was really fucked up back there, but like we did it. You want to get breakfast? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like people that I don't know. The rest of that dried bread and or dried apple and bread. Oh gosh, mm -hmm. gotta get them pickles. The, the weird like charcuterie board. Yeah. <laughs> no, just go, we'll go get some shawarma. You know. Okay. All right, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually you. You speak about going outside, and this is the big question that I had for you guys. Did you ever feel tempted to leave? No. no. Okay. No. But that's because, like, I didn't say this um, because I wanted to keep things moving, but back when you're talking about, like, how is it to play a module versus our homebrew campaign, it, like, loomed in the back of my mind the whole time that, like, there was a plan and there was a roadmap and I was to stick to it. And so when we're locked in the thing, I'm like, that's not an option anymore. Like, we are locked in and we must solve and that is it. There's no leaving. It became an escape room. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point because technically, according to this, if you open the door, that's it. It's over. The The game ends. <laughs> because in theory, the curse spreads throughout the rest of the world and Shemsheim gains the power he needs to come back. 
Well, bully for us. We just saved the world. You did. <laughs> NBD. The greatest, happiest m- moment for me in this whole thing is I was terrified because I knew I was going to underscore this before we started. And then whenever Josh just started singing, just unaccompanied, no pitches, <laughs> I was like, what in the hell am I going to do with this? And like by some miracle, right? Like someone was looking out for me. Or curse. Um. Yeah, everything ended up being actual pitches that I was like, they were already in like the keys that I was like playing around with. So like made my job super easy and I sort of felt like divinely inspired. Kind of like a cleric. Kind oh my like gosh. <laughs> or just really good. More s- like a bar. Okay, we get it, Josh. You have a favorite. I don't know. I thought overall though, it was a very fun experience. I think the only thing that could have been improved probably was on our part and being able to actually like find the path i do mm. think that we did get off at certain points which josh is then where we you came in and where it could have felt a little bit forced but yeah i think that just comes probably with a bit more practice and if we did another module i think it would be better and we would jump into it faster and it's also a matter of fact of we're over discord right now and i can send a map to you but i can't use the numbers that i have for reference because they're secret so it's i'm not able to point through the screen and be like that's exactly the room you've been in or that's the thing you found in that corner of the room or anything like that it's just nice i mean we have like you know there's a movement speed on a character sheet there's so much that revolves around distance you want to make sure you can keep track of that but I loved it. And you said if we do another one of these, and I think you mean when. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Get ready, Dungeons and Gatherers, because there will be another podcast of a one-shot with this cast that does come out in the future. But we will also be playing Kanaki Mysteries probably off camera as well. Or, dang it, off For mic. Sure. I keep screwing that up. <laughs> off mic, off mic. There we go. I think it would be very fun, though, if we did one of them with our campaign characters. And actually maybe recorded that and released that just so anybody, because what we're talking about right now, we're referring Anyone to them constantly curious. so they would actually like get to know them. But I wonder if it would be easier to get into the business of solving the mystery if you're not having to worry about, like we talked about, role-playing a new character. If yes. it's someone that mm-hmm. feels so familiar, then as soon as you walk in the room with the giant book, you're like, haha, that's going to be important later. And you don't have to worry quite so much about what's my voice going to sound like? What's my mm-hmm. relationship with these characters? Because mm-hmm. you already know. Also, a little bit now that I knew how this one works, I'll be like trying to apply this framework to any other mystery we play from this mm-hmm. and be like, what did they keep? Like, what, like, what are some themes, yeah. things that I should be yeah. looking out for? And probably just straight up going into all the different rooms, clocking what there is. Mm-hmm. So just being very methodical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Investigating everything. Like, what's this pile of dirt over here? <laughs> <laughs> um, and Josh, I would like a Scooby-Doo chase, please. Yes. Scooby- I'll give you a Josie's and the Pussycat chase. I'm not going to give you a Scooby-Doo <laughs> one because it's more musical. Ooh. Okay. And, a, and, a, and somebody that's wearing a mask of something else, and then you take another mask. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, would have gotten a lot of dry ice in Scooby Doo. A lot also. of dry ice. <laughs> I I know that this came out last year, so technically this isn't true. But this is almost like the year of Tasha. I want to call it. I want to say that 2021 is the year of Tasha because it's things that like people have been like, all right, D and D is a lot about combat, or wait, these rules aren't very clear, and these are just new ideas that even though Candlekeep existed in earlier forms of D and D, but it's just like, I don't know many mystery 
campaigns or like things that work with mystery and combat or figuring things out. These are just new innovative ideas that are coming out with D&D and it's just very exciting because as a DM personally, every time I read something that's very new, I want to incorporate it in the campaign. The second I read the thing about Shemshine, I'm like, this would be a really cool boss to have at some point. Recolor Shemshine as something else and do the same thing with it's got to be crushed or... It has to have water pouring on it or something. I don't know. Oh, when we fight the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. <laughs> I also love Tasha's spells. I think they add a lot yes. of color like beyond just yeah. the damage that they can cause. It's the side effects that are really interesting, mm-hmm. like knowing the location or they can only do one move on their turn. I just I think that's that adds like a whole other level. But like the, that Tasha also has a section about how you can flavor your spells and how like you can design, like what does your magic missile look like? And it's just like giving spellcasters more options to like think about the flavor of things instead of just saying like, well, fireball looks like fireball, right? Like what if fireball like shows up like a dragon? Yeah. Or it's like a giant purple flame ball. I would say I do actually believe for people that are really engaged in the role playing like our group that one of the hardest challenges is actually how to marry that within the framework of combat because it's so easy just to be like well i cast fireball roll the die x number of damage but it's like how do you create interest and maintain the character's stability within this very stat oriented framework for the rest of the year i think it's going to be a personal goal because plenty of D&D people complain about this combat is slow combat gets boring Mm -hmm. sometimes Mm -hmm. combat is just too much of one person is active and everyone else kind of just takes a moment back and then comes back in so hopefully over this year we get to see an improvement of new ideas that allows combat to be reinvigorated with something like constant spark and I don't want to be like the DM who's like you got six seconds to make your move because that's how it is in the real life of the game it's like that's just too stressful I don't think Mm -hmm. that's the answer Mm -hmm. but it's like maybe having conversations with each other like someone makes a really cool move and then a character that witnesses that is like are you okay or like yeah that was awesome or yeah you know things of that nature Mm -hmm. well I I had a great time talking about Candlekeep I think that's Probably about it, right? <laughs> I think so, yeah. I can't wait for next week when we all get to play D&D together. Yay, exactly. So I forgot what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> I also forgot. I, know. I don't know. Thank don't goodness worry. Josh we'll keeps a, notes. We'll have a big, big old recap. Big old recap. Man, Sorry. It's been three weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, we've oh, been wow, doing a lot has. of Candlekeep stuff. So just a little housekeeping. Uh, next week, we will not have a podcast that comes out. We're just going to be taking a little break. Because we've been uh, working hard getting this candle keep thing out, so haven't you had enough from me? Yeah, no, no podcast <laughs> next week. But then after that, we will be back. Uh, another one shot will come out at some point. We don't want to reveal anything yet, but there is one in the works, so it'll be out there. And I hope that you all realize at home that it is no mystery that you can like and subscribe to the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Oh no! Sick, <laughs> Sick. yes, <laughs> the mic. Oh, endearing brand of corny. There it is.